Now for the word of God today. Um, our text is in Ephesians 4, 11 through 16, and that's in page 977 in the Red Pew Bibles there. Today we'll be reading it from the NIV version. Give you a moment to get to that. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants, tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Crystal. Good morning, everybody. You guys chilly enough yet? Yep, okay. <laughs> Affirmative. All right, well, welcome again uh, to Regeneration. My name is Steve, and I'm the associate pastor here. Um, and today we're wrapping up uh, a short series that we've been calling Disciple. Um, we actually will pick this back up again in a couple of weeks, but uh, wrapping up a run through it uh, right now before we begin the book of Ecclesiastes. We'll be turning to Ecclesiastes next Sunday. And we'll be in that for a little while. I think that's going to be a fun, uh, a fun series for us. Um, but today, to get us started, uh, I want to do a quick recap of where we've been over the last couple of weeks, just to make sure we're all on the same page as we move forward here, uh, talking about the book of Ephesians this morning. So uh, as a reminder, as a refresher, we began this series a couple of Sundays ago asking the, the huge question, what is God's telos? What is his ultimate purpose and aim. And we've been answering that question by looking at the, the truth that God himself is a community. God exists as a community, this mysterious perfect union of three persons in one being, what theologians call the Trinity. We've seen that God is not a closed community, but he creates a home and a family. His purpose is to create a home and a family so that he can extend and share his community and his love. The, the bad news, the negative turn in this story, the story of scripture, the story of our universe is that we chose to rebel against that. We rejected that community and that rebellion, that sin has torn God's family apart and his home, his creation groans from the effects of that rebellion. But the good news of the story of scripture, the good news of the story of our universe is that God does not turn his back on his family. God instead enacts this plan to bring his family back together, and that plan reaches its climactic moment in the life and person of Jesus Christ. It's Jesus' death and resurrection that repairs the damage of sin, of our rebellion, and allows us to live in right relationship with God. Again, in this state of right relationship, we've talked about this a number of times over the last couple of years, but this state of right relationship is beautifully summed up in the Old Testament word shalom. Shalom is right relationship 
between humans and God, but not just that. It is right relationship with God and with each other and with creation. Right relationship in multiple directions. It's the way God intended his creation to function, his home and his family in a state of wholeness, righteousness, equality, goodness, flourishing. And it's Jesus who makes it possible for us to experience shalom again. But even that is not the end of the story. Jesus invites us to participate in this plan, to play a role in bringing the family back together and restoring shalom. And his command to his first disciples is also a command to us. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And we spent week one in this series breaking that text down, looking at what it means to go, to be sent, to make disciples. Last week we turned our attention to the communal side of things, understanding that discipleship is not just an individual thing, it's not just a personal journey, it is a communal process. And we looked at the whole book of Acts, really, it was fairly ambitious now that I think about it. (laughs) But in particular, these snapshots, these pictures of the early church, and what we saw is that again and again, they put mission at the center of all that they did. And that sense of adventure and risk and mission is caught up in the word communitas. This is an idea that we unpacked a little bit last Sunday. And we said, this is what we desire to be. Not just a nice community, not just people who gather together on Sunday morning for some religious activities, but a communitas, a group of people committed to take risks and go on adventures together so that God's shalom grows and multiplies here in Oakland and Alameda and to the ends of the earth. And a huge theme in this series, a thread that's kind of been going all the way through, has been this invitation to be involved in one of our home groups, these smaller groups that meet in homes all around the area. We continue to extend that invitation. Now is a great time to be involved in a home group. And if you're interested in, in, in Knowing more about that, we have all kinds of information on our webpage and out in the lobby, and I'd love to answer any questions you have about that. Now is a great time to get involved. Sunday morning, so important for being together as the whole body, for hearing the Word of God taught, for worshiping together, taking communion, getting to know one another, but it's really in home groups where we get to go deep into what does it look like to really live this out. What does it look like to be a disciple of Jesus in our everyday life? And so again, now is as good a time as any to get involved. So that's a recap of where we've been. I want to pause here for a moment. Let's pray, and then we'll dive into, uh, into Ephesians. So pray with me. <clears throat> Father, thank you so much for what you've been doing so far in this series and the conversations that we're having in home groups in relation to this idea uh, that we're having over coffee and, and um in our, uh, in our time outside of Sunday morning, God, it's been really rich to hear the, the things that, that are sparking for people and, and what we're wrestling with, the questions that we have and the ways that we're creatively leaning into this. And so I pray that you would continue to draw us closer to the heart of Jesus. You would continue to challenge us to take risks and to go on adventures together as we join in this mission together so that The good news of Jesus, your shalom would grow here in this neighborhood, 
in this city and to wherever else you call us to go. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So our, our text today is Ephesians chapter 4. We're going to uh, actually look at, again, a, a lot of different um, parts of the book of Ephesians. So we'll do a little bit of context creation uh, here in just a moment. But before we get to that, I want to begin with this. How many of you have shown up on day one of a new job and, and you show up and you expect uh, that there's going to be some level of orientation and training and you get there and they just sort of uh, throw you into the deep end? Okay, anybody had this experience? You can raise your hand. It's okay. All right, quite a few of us. This is not an uncommon thing. <clears throat> I've had this experience a few times in my life, but probably the most egregious example of this was when I worked for Starbucks. And this is sort of ironic because Starbucks is known for their new employee training. It's almost like joining a cult. There's this whole thing you go through and you get a green apron and and they have, uh, they have books and, and computer modules and all sorts of stuff uh, to get people up to speed. But to make a long story short, I, I, I did not make it all the way through the new employee training. And it wasn't because I flunked out or anything like that. I, I, I was hired by a store that was in a state of chaos. And so by day two, I'm sitting in the basement of this building going through these modules, looking at these books. And they're like, you know what? We need you up here on the floor. We are way, we're, we're, uh, there's this huge line and we just need you to get in here and start working. And so they put me on the bar on day two. And I, I'm, I'm, making, I'm making drinks and, <laughs> and serving people something that had like espresso and milk in it. I don't even know what it was, but I'm just like, you know, trying to do whatever it is that, that I could do to, to get through this line of cups. And I mean, I, I feel terrible for the people that came to our store those first couple of weeks, because I had no idea what I was doing. I was thrown right into the deep end. To this day, I don't know if you guys have uh, recurring dreams, but <laughs> to this day, one of my, like, I don't have very many of these, but one recurring dream that I do have, probably about once every six months, is I'm working at Starbucks, and I'm on the bar, and there's just an infinity of cups <laughs> as far as you can see, and no matter how fast I go, I cannot get caught up. So it was obviously a traumatic experience for me. <laughs> but this isn't, just, this isn't just a coffee industry thing. This happens all the time in all sorts of industries, all kinds of jobs, all kinds of volunteer organizations. And you know who one of the worst offenders of this is? The church. The church. Now, my hope here is that at Regen, we have gotten better at this, and, and we're continually looking for ways to get better at this, helping people uh, get the tools and the training that they need to engage in God's mission. But uh, again, speaking honestly, the church oftentimes just does what everyone else does, throw people out into the deep end, figure it out. But our text today, I think, shows us very clearly that not only is there a strong mandate to go make disciples, to engage in this mission, but there's also this mandate to train people so that they're prepared for this. So let's, uh, let's take a look here at the book of Ephesians. Ephesus is a, a town, a city that is now in modern-day Turkey. And the Ephesians first appear in Scripture in Acts chapter 18. The chapter later, Acts 19, Paul who's one of the key leaders in the early church, shows up there and he gets to work by trying to convince uh, the Jews in Ephesus that Jesus is the Messiah. 
And this proves to be a great challenge for him. He entered the synagogue and for three months spoke boldly, reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. But when some became stubborn and continued in unbelief, speaking evil of the way before the congregation, he withdrew from them and took the disciples with him, reasoning daily in the hall of Tyrannus. This continued for two years so that all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. Now that last phrase there, Jews and Greeks, becomes one of the defining characteristics of the Ephesian church. They are at the forefront of this challenge of integrating Jewish and Gentile believers. And so this same guy, Paul, sometime later writes this letter to the church at Ephesus. And the first couple of chapters in this letter are are deeply focused on reminding this church of their identity, grounding them in their identity. This is who you are. And a a central theme of this is the the bringing together of Jew and Gentile. Look at this this, uh, beautiful passage from Ephesians chapter 2. Again, Paul writing, Remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision. That's kind of an odd way to self-identify. But it was important to them. Remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now, but now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. And then he goes on to say this. He, Jesus, is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose, his telos, was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, a family thus making peace and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. In other words, we all need this grace. We all need the love of Jesus demonstrated for us on the cross. For through him we both have access to the Father by one spirit. Again, this is one of the central themes of the book of Ephesians. This new identity that they have, redeemed and restored through the death and resurrection of Jesus, but also restored to one another as a new kind of community. So again, Paul uses these first couple of chapters to remind this church of their identity, this identity rooted in the gracious work of Jesus on their behalf to reconcile them to God and to each other. Now the second half of the book, where our text, our our specific text today comes from, focuses on more practical issues. And it's almost as if Paul wants them to remember, because of this is your identity, because you are rooted in God's love, His grace, because you are now reconciled, here is how you can live out the mission. Here are some tools for how to live out this mission. And the truth is, the church in Ephesus lived this out. They, they really did it. Their love for God, their love for one another, it had a tremendous impact on their city. Ephesus was the center for the worship of the Greek, go- the Greek goddess Artemis. And in fact, 
They had a massive temple there to Artemis. It's considered one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. And the church at Ephesus was so effective at making disciples, they actually put out of business the metalsmiths that made, uh, that made the idols of Artemis and profited off of the worship of Artemis in the city. And they got so mad about it, they rioted against the church. <laughs> Very effective in their community. Jesus, in fact, praises the Ephesian church in the book of Revelation. He says, I know your works, your toil, your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my namesake, and you have not grown weary. These are pretty encouraging words from Jesus. The church at Ephesus was a hard-working, faithful group of early Christians that did an amazing job making disciples, but had this challenge of figuring out how to be a multi-ethnic church in a pluralistic society. And we have a lot to learn from the church at Ephesus. So if you still have your Bible open to chapter 4, let's look at the very beginning of the chapter, verse 1. And again, this is where Paul is beginning to shift from their identity to now the practical. Look at how he begins. <clears throat> I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belonged to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Do you pick up on the theme there? Paul begins this practical section with a call to unity. And after spending three chapters reminding them of their identity, reminding them of you know, two different groups of people brought into one, this is an important reminder as well. You are to be one. Not only is that a goal, but the truth is you are one. You are one body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God. So the practical section begins with this call to unity. Now why is unity so important? Unity is so important because the mission is so important. If you are here last Sunday, you remember we spent a lot of time talking about how the early church made mission the primary organizing principle. Mission, forming community and informing their theology. And for the church at Ephesus, for us today as well, there are so many other things that we are tempted to make the priority. So Paul is saying, if the mission is going to be the center, if that really is going to be the primary organizing principle, you must be a unified body. You must unify around this. Now, unity does not mean uniformity. And here's where Paul gives us an interesting construct for thinking about our role in mission. We're going to spend some time breaking this down. So I'm just going to quickly move through verses 11 through 16, make a couple of observations, and then I think there's three big takeaways from this for us as we continue this conversation on mission. So look at verse 11. Five specific roles that Paul lists here. Apostle, prophet, evangelist, and then uh, shepherd or pastor, depending on your translation. 
and teacher. In some circles, you may hear this referred to as a pest, not a pest, <laughs> a pest. <laughs> so Paul List calls out these five roles. These roles, he says, are designed to equip. And that word equip could, could literally be translated as to hand someone a tool. These are roles that are to give people tools for the mission. Verse 13, Paul returns to the theme of unity, unity of faith and of understanding who Jesus is so that we become mature. And maturity here is defined as Christ-likeness, to become like Christ. In other words, to live a sacrificial life. We'll talk more about that in just a moment. Verses 14 and 15, we get some contrast. Mature adults versus children. Children in the faith are wishy-washy. Tossed this way and that, they're easily deceived. You know, they're here when it's fun and exciting and they leave when it is not. Verse 16, adults speak the truth in love, are connected to Jesus, to the church, and they're faithful. They do their part so that the body grows and builds itself up in love. Now, a couple of takeaways, and we're going to work our way backwards from verse 16 back to 11, okay? First big takeaway here is this. The mission is all about love. Paul ends chapter 3 in the book of Ephesians with this beautiful prayer that this church would know how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. To know this love that surpasses knowledge. And, and this, once again, brings us back to where we started this whole conversation. God is on this mission, is on a mission to put his family back together because he is love. The whole story is about God's love for his creation, his love for his family, his love for each and every one of us. That's why Paul ends this little section here in, in chapter 4. Reminding the Ephesians, you are not just workers for the mission. You are not just cogs in a machine or participants in a program. What's interesting and even a bit sad is that the Ephesians actually lost sight of this. Back to the words of Jesus in the book of Revelation. After those words of praise, he says this, I have this against you that you have abandoned the love you had at first. So they worked super hard. And they endured a bunch of things, and they were extremely faithful, but they lost their first love. And I think there's a great word of warning and challenge here for us as well. In our work of ministry and our service to the mission, we will get into massive trouble if we abandon our first love. If we follow Jesus' command to disciple, to teach, to baptize, but we lose our first love, then we're, again, just working a program or building an organization. This mission is all about and only about the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. Paul says it this way in a different letter. For Christ's love compels us. Christ's love compels us. It's love that fuels the mission. Now, second big takeaway. Concerning that love, the marker of maturity is to love like Jesus. 
Now, a couple things about what this is not. Maturity is not about how much you know or how much you've accomplished or achieved or how much time you have put in. And love here is not a uh, warm, fuzzy feeling of affection. For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again should no longer live for themselves, but for him. The mark of mature love is sacrifice. I've used this analogy before, but I think it bears repeating here. The goal of parenting is to get rid of your children. <laughs> In all seriousness, though, the goal of parenting, right, is to raise kids who can take care of themselves. You can send them out into the world and you can know they're going to be okay. But if you really think about it, that is just the minimum requirement of parenting. The goal is not just for them to be able to take care of themselves. It is for them to be able to take care of other people. Whether that be a a spouse or their own kids or other people in their lives, good parents lay their lives down for their kids so that their kids will be able to lay their lives down as well. That is the kind of maturity and love that Paul is speaking of here in Ephesians. The ability to lay our lives down for one another. Now, final takeaway. I want to spend some time talking about <clears throat> these roles that Paul lays out at the beginning of this section here for equipping. Because again, we need to be equipped and trained for this mission. So the roles again are apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, and teacher. And specifically, Paul is speaking here of leaders. And so sometimes when we talk about leadership, there's this tendency for some of us to sort of check out because we think, oh, I'm not a leader. I don't need to listen to this or this doesn't apply to me. But remember, we are all called to this mission. And so each of these roles, each of these leadership roles is designed to lead the church into what I would call an environment for mission. And so whether or not you are a leader in that, you can still participate and contribute to one of these environments. And so my hope here is that as we wrap up at least this run in this series, we're able to walk out of here this morning with some sense, some idea of how we may be able to contribute to the mission. So let's let's walk through each one of these. We'll begin with apostles. Apostles create what I call an activating environment. Apostles tend to be innovative and visionary, and they remind us that we actually have to do something. Our faith is not something we just sit around and talk about. We have to actually do something. So you might be an apostle or have a significant contribution to creating an activating environment if you like to get things started. If you like to be in the action and do stuff. If you're an idea person, a vision person, if you're the kind of person who can see a need and then have a good idea, this is how we can meet that need, you might be an apostle. Then prophets. Prophets create a liberating environment. Prophets are called to speak on God's behalf and they remind us of what God cares about and they seek shalom and justice. 
Prophets stand with the poor and oppressed, fight for liberation, and in doing so, they reveal our hearts. So you might be a prophet or have a significant contribution to creating a liberating environment if you are seeking shalom by fighting injustices, standing up for the poor, or serving the least of these. Evangelists. Evangelists create a welcoming environment. Evangelists remind us that we have the best news possible for humans. And so they seek to invite anyone and everyone to experience God's grace and shalom. You might be an evangelist or have a significant contribution to creating a welcoming environment if you are consistently looking for ways to share your faith. If you have a lot of conversations about spirituality and faith in Jesus with people. Or even if you think about uh, church and, and um, some of the language that we use here through the eyes of someone who may not be as familiar with church as some of, some of us are. Then pastors. Okay, pastors are not just uh, people that preach on Sunday morning. Pastors create a healing environment. Pastors help us find wholeness, cultivate life-giving spirituality. They call us to reconciliation with God, with ourselves, and with other people. So you might be a pastor or have a significant contribution to creating a healing environment. Do you enjoy listening to people, praying for people, if you ask people really good questions, if you desire for people to find God's shalom through restoring relationships and creating wholeness in individual lives and families and communities. And finally, teachers. Teachers create a learning environment. Teachers call us to immerse ourselves fully in the story of Scripture and to live out the truth of God's story faithfully. You might be a teacher or have a significant contribution to creating a learning environment if you enjoy studying scripture, reading books, helping people understand a concept, or if you love helping people figure out how to apply scripture to their lives. Now, that is a very broad overview. But my hope, again, is that you are able to begin to see yourself in one of those environments. There may have been something where you're like, oh, yeah, that sounds like me. I enjoy doing those things. I could see how I could make a contribution to one of those environments. And of course, no one is limited to any one thing. Just because you have a strength in one doesn't mean you ignore the others. But we all have a role to play. That's one of the things Paul, I think, makes very, very clear in this passage. We all have a role to play in this mission. And if you would like to go even deeper with this conversation, we are starting a new thing here called Regen Community. And this class actually gets started next Sunday. And we're going to run it several times over the course of the the coming year. But one of the, the main purposes of this class is to dig deeper into this very conversation. How have you been gifted for the mission? And we'll do some, uh, we'll, do, we'll even do some assessments and, and walk you through some of that so that we are all better equipped and trained to use our lives to further God's mission and purposes. Now, to wrap up today, I, um, 
I wanted to share a story with you guys, and I think this story helps bring a lot of this conversation over the last three weeks to life. I don't know if you have had the opportunity yet to meet Rachel Lugo, but Rachel came to our community this last summer. Um, She moved in actually to the Regen House in the fall, and she's been a tremendous blessing to our community in a number of different ways. Uh, But one of the ways that I think goes uh, fairly unnoticed uh, by most people is um, there's a group of kids that hang out on our property Monday through Friday, either waiting for the bus or, or waiting for school to start. And uh, they're kind of a rough crowd. They can be a little bit of a nuisance, to be perfectly honest. But Rachel has seen them with a different set of eyes. And so I wanted you guys to be able to hear her story and some of the ways that she's uh, been engaging with them. So uh, we're going to watch a video uh, of this interview. And uh, if you guys are ready to start that, we'll do that. So watch this uh, as you hear Rachel's story. Well, I could hear what they, I could hear them meeting under my window, so I could hear the things that they were talking about and just, like everyday things, their passions, their fears. One day I was walking out and they were all sitting there, get into the conversation with them and we started talking about grits. And so it was a fun conversation, we were laughing and stuff, and that just kind of, it broke the ice a little bit. There was probably six of them then, and so that was how that all happened and just started laughing and having fun. Well, I've always been involved in the prison ministry there, but for the grace of God, though, I basically just grateful that I never got caught. So I've always been involved with youth and gang members and things like that. So um, I had, like I said, I heard them sharing their lives and their testimonies, so to speak. So I heard them out, outside and they were talking and, and I had been praying after I met them the first time. I was like, okay, Lord, how can I build a relationship with them, their kids? I clearly am a dork. What am I going to do to minister to these beautiful kids? They're like hip and happening kids. A big thing happening downstairs. I heard my little prolific Jalen. I heard him just really using foul language and F and F and I was like, that's not, you know, I really, I couldn't, I was not sure what was going on. And then I heard, so I just started praying, you know, and then I heard somebody say, I'm going to have to cuff you. I'm going to have to cuff your other hand, son. And I looked outside and the police were there. And I just said, Lord, if you'll just use me and just don't let anybody get killed. Seriously is what I thought. And so when I left, when I came downstairs, the police were leaving and there were all the beautiful little faces, six of them just sitting there. And I was like so relieved and I had been crying. So I was kind of upset. So I looked at them and I said, "Um, are you guys okay? And I think they expected me to be mad at them or afraid of them. And um, my heart was just broken. So they said, yeah, we're okay. They said, you know, I'm so glad you're okay. I love you guys. I've been praying for you because I hear you below my window all the time. And so future, you're our hope. And I'm just so glad. And I just couldn't stop saying, I'm so glad you're okay. And it was a trip because they all just kind of stood there and they were like, she's really glad we're okay. I guess they thought I was not going to, you know, I was going to be afraid of them and think, oh, thugs, who wants anything to do with them? Well, I come from thugs. So, you know, of course I love them. So then um, one kid, a big kid, big old school, he had big old jewelry on and stuff and curly hair and just this angelic face. He was huge. His name was Gabe. And he just started sharing his heart with me. And then when I went to get in my car, he came running behind me. He said, oh, Miss Rachel, I didn't know that was your truck with a couple of expletives. And he said, I'm really sorry. I hid something in your truck. And I said, well, just get it out. He said, it's my gun. And then he just, I mean, really, he was very upset that he had, that it was my truck. And I could see how he was really repentant for what he, he had put it in my truck. 
So anyway, um, he said, I, Miss Rachel, I'm not going to use it. I need it when I go home. And when he said that, I was like, oh my gosh, he needs it when he goes home. So I was trying not to lose it, right? So, so I got in my truck and he took his gun and it was a big old gun and he put it in his backpack and I just said, please be careful. You know, I, I don't really care what happened. I don't care who called the police or what happened, but just please be careful. You know, we need you to, you can't leave us now, you're too young. I think that was probably a really, um, like a really good building block for us because they did expect me to, you know, lecture them and stuff and it was all about just being glad they, everybody was okay, the police, everybody. I had prayed when, when I heard Gabe say that his home was where he needed his gun. I mean, I was like, Lord, this is a big place where we live. I said, I can just bring them all and be the woman in the shoe and bring all the kids here and, and they can be safe, right? So that was just a maternal instinct. So I had prayed, um, the fruit is that I had prayed that Gabe would not be hurt because I knew he had a gun. I prayed, I said, Lord, I don't really care what it looks like or how it manifests, but keep Gabe safe, especially in his home. If you have to take him from his home, bring him here. Bring him, you know, just whatever, but keep him safe in his home. I saw Jalen, the little prolific guy, and his smile, you can see it coming, I mean, you can see it really coming down the street. And he looked at me and we were like, yay, it's so good to see you. And then he told me that Gabe went down and I was like, what do you mean? I mean, I'm like, okay, well, down what? And so he, that's when he told me he was arrested. So um, he kept saying, God, I'm so glad to see you. We've wondered where you were. And I said, likewise, I haven't heard you guys under my window. I said, I went and got all this gourmet stuff to make you guys hot chocolate and I have snacks for you just because it's cold outside. And so it was him and Nico, two of the original kids, and then a new guy named um, Mario. And Mario's like six foot five. Sweet, sweet. But he was trying to be kind of thuggalicious and try to see if I was scared of him. So he's just kind of standing there kind of like snarling at me. And I was like, whatever, dude. And I said, okay, so come in. So we came in and um, just, it was the sweetest thing because Jalen said, oh, Miss Rachel, if you're gonna make us hot chocolate, can you use real milk? And I had a gallon of milk and I'm like, what do you think? And he's like, are you serious? And I said, yeah, and I showed him the bag and I have Mexican hot chocolate, Italian hot chocolate, Starbucks double hot chocolate. Showed him all stuff, two types of whipped cream. And so he was just really like, he said, you really, he goes, this is really for us. And I said, that's all that right there is your bag. So it was really, really sweet because they just started having fun. It was like they just became free. They knew they were safe. They knew they were loved over hot chocolate. So the fruit was seeing them as God intended them to be just free children, just young men, um, and knowing that the Lord had heard my cry for Gabe, that he was still alive, even though it's in jail. And, you know, I'm praying, Lord, if there's some way me to, for me to find out what his booking number is, maybe I can go in and visit him, but that's still something I'm praying about. It was the Holy Spirit that led me to minister to Gabe at all and not freak out when he pulled out this big old Glock, whatever kind of gun it was. You know, you have to ask the Holy Spirit. And also, you know, sometimes you just need to do it. Um, the mission field, like we've always, when I became saved, our pastor was big on the mission field is where you are. The mission field isn't Billy Graham, isn't Greg Laurie, it isn't, you know, all these other famous evangelicals, but it's the mustard seed like we're talking about. It's the little things that you can do for people. And it's beautiful how the Lord has made us with so many diversified gifts that your gifts are not the same as mine. And he's going to use your gift to minister to somebody in either a big way or a small way. But, you know, like you said, more of a mustard seed, just not being afraid, you know, and I am a fraidy cat, 
you know, I wouldn't be out there ministering to gangsters if it weren't for the Lord, but the Lord, I mean, I asked them, I said, you know, I don't want these kids to die. You know, I want these kids to live on to live for you. They have a purpose. They're designed by you. So, um, I mean, I just, just look, it's right in front of you. Just as you said, it's in front of you, even in, within the body. So many of us are broken. We're living amongst the ruins. It's basically a lot of shattered people. Thanks. Mm-hmm. Thanks for sharing. Yeah. <laughs> Man, I I love I love Rachel's story for so many different reasons, but but three things that I wanted to say about that before we pray. The first is that this story is still being written. And I think sometimes when we do a testimony or, or, or we hear someone's story, we kind of want to know, like, what's the happy ending and what's the perfect ending. And um, the one, one good bit of good news that I would share is that Gabe, since we shot this video, is out of jail. But this is still very much an ongoing process. This is an unfolding story. It's still being written. And so I would begin by asking us, what is the story that God is inviting us into And what story is still being written that you might have a a part to play in writing the ending? Second thing is uh, you you can't watch that video, you can't spend time with Rachel without understanding that she is compelled by love. She loves those kids so much. And so the question for us is who are we being called to love? And then the third thing, the, the lines that really stand out to me at the end there are, it's right in front of you. You just need to do it. And so maybe the question for us this morning is just that. What is right in front of you? What is right in front of you that God has put there and he's, he's just saying, are you going to do it? We all have a part to play. What is your role in this story? Let's pray. <clears throat> Father, again, thank you for uh, just the conversation we've been in the last couple of weeks and for um, the, the things that it's been sparking in our community, the ways that you have been uh, speaking to people and moving us. And um, I'm just encouraged so far by some of the creative responses that uh, that have come out of this. And, and I just ask that we would, again, continue to be able to lean into that so that we can see you show up in all kinds of different ways as we seek to live this out. Father, as we reflect on Scripture, as we reflect on Rachel's story this morning, uh, would we be paying attention to your Spirit as it is speaking to us? What story is still being written that we can participate in? Who do we need to love And what is right in front of us that we just need to do? Give us the courage to take that step, to say hello, to start a conversation, to to sign up for something, to um, walk across the street and knock on someone's door, whatever that might be, God. Give us the courage to take that step. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.